football book is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We are live here on YouTube, and we're live in your ears on in podcast land here. Live in your ears. That's right. It's live. Huh. We're, we're here. We're reviewing every draft class. Started with the NFC West and East. We did that on Sunday, so go check that out if you haven't already. Today, it's about the AFC East and West, Sam. Hmm. Ready to go? You're just starting in weird orders all over the place. Well, the West always goes last. We yeah. always seem to get the West last. North and South will go last. So you're making them this time go first and third. They're going first. First in the first and last show, and then first in this show, first which is the third. third division we've covered. First and third. All right, do you want to start with the West or the East on this show? We have to go with the West because you already set that precedent. That's how we named it? Yeah. All right, we'll start with AFC West. By the way, if you're watching live on YouTube, only if you're watching live, I can confirm that the Draft 30 promo code is... Still live as well. Draft well, 30, 30% if you're off. watching or listening on Tuesday, May the 4th, it's still good. If you're listening on any other day, Yes, not. and if you're listening on Tuesday. Now, I will do what I can to try to convince <laughs> the powers that be that they can hmm. perhaps extend the promo code. But as of right now, we are stopping it today on May the 4th. Draft 30, 30% off all of your PFF subscriptions i do suggest you go right now and uh and get that so um we're letting the people show up to the youtube stream but let's get into this afc west draft review wait that, before we do that yeah i keep forgetting to mention this so i have to do it now you have been rocking this thing on your head for however long that is whatever you call that my hair yeah which eric refers to as the standard jerry jerry curl I'm sure there's a technical name for whatever it is you call it, but anyway, that's, that's been your go-to. But yes. back in the day, you have rocked a full-on fro. And I have. critically, you have said that you would be willing to do that again for one episode of the PFF podcast if we raised $1,000 for charity. Yes. So I have a GoFundMe set up. Yeah. And right now, as of recording, we are $360 towards our thousand dollar goal this is a slam dunk it's two for one you're helping people out and you're getting to see steve rock an afro on the show frankly I, the the link is there it's the pinned tweet on my it's twitter like it's pinned for you pinned okay. on my twitter go there raise help us raise a thousand dollars for charity so that steve in a show soon will have to rock a full-on like picked out afro yeah i can um I haven't done it in a while, but mm. I can legitimately 
get the monster afro and i think also that will help uh answer some questions about what that hairline is doing you've been fighting hard against this idea that it's retreating you know back it's not retreating i have tons of hair but i mean i'm telling you i think when you when you you know when it all comes out when you undo the moose i think you're going to see some some disturbing trend yeah when you first brought this up you were like hey what would it take for you to do this i would i just said a thousand dollars you said all right deal i'm going to get i'm going to get the thousand dollars together and then i said um, obviously, I'm not just going to take $1,000. I will put it towards... So it's, it's going toward a place called Heritage House, which is here in Cincinnati, which um, helps, helps men fight uh, addiction of all kinds. A lot of heroin and uh, opio- opioid addiction, something I'm connected to. So I'm, I'm excited to do that. And I'm more than willing to pick out my hair for that. I'll even ma- I'm going to match the $1,000 too. Once we get wow. that, I will match it because I do... I, I like having money go to this... Um, to Heritage House. So I want that to happen. Um, I don't care if I look silly. I might look great. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But it'll, it'll be good. Wouldn't it'll be good for a show. One. Yeah. I wouldn't uh, set your hopes on that one. Let's just put so it that So it's, it's Sam's pinned tweet. I've retweeted a couple times. And uh, if you guys want to help out and contribute and, and see me with my picked out monster air, uh, afro. Yes. Oh, I think it's going to happen now that we finally announced it on yeah. the show. I mean, this, this should push it over the edge. So every, every little bit helps to get us there. All right, so let's get to let's get to the AFC West. Let's start with the Denver Broncos. Okay. Okay. Denver Broncos. The biggest news of this entire weekend is that they were tied to Aaron Rodgers, and I, yeah, I don't know we, how much this tied you know tied into their draft strategy. But have we has that been confirmed? How real that was? Because all hell broke loose. The Aaron Rodgers thing happened. Everyone's like, oh, he's out of there. Teams are calling, and then Mark Schlereth went on the radio and said the this is almost a done deal with Denver like they have it in place it's as close as it can get without being a you know a confirmed deal or whatever it was his actual wording was but basically Denver's getting Aaron Rodgers was the point and this was later I mean obviously they didn't get him so <laughs> step one against that statement but other people have since come out and said I, I mean this wasn't it hasn't happened it isn't tremendously close there haven't been extensive discussions the Packers have said they rebuffed like one phone call which the or the 49ers have admitted to making so unless they're lying about the numbers this Denver thing has not been anywhere near as close to fruition as certainly Mark Schlera said it was now I do though think that a like you said that might have changed their entire draft strategy and b it's also how this draft class needs to be framed or looked through the prism of because when you look at this draft class if you just look at the players I think they've done a really good job like I I like the players they've acquired with this draft class I think in isolation it's extremely good but they didn't come out of this class with a quarterback so right now Drew Locke is still the starting quarterback or Teddy Teddy Bridgewater Bridgewater, which isn't any better Um, it only makes sense if they're getting Aaron Rodgers yeah, I'm with you on the player thing. I mean, I like the players. Yeah, they traded up for a running back in the second round. That's not ideal. But, the Patrick you know. Sertan thing in the first round is just just fascinating because it's we always say you can never have too many corners. Well, we're going to test that theory in Denver. Now, I had a theory on the Rodgers thing, which was the the cap hit for the Packers is so much greater here pre June first, hmm. and if if they trade him post June first. It's an easier cap hit. It's easier to move him. Only the dead cap. What's that? Only the dead cap. The dead cap hit, yeah. So it actually doesn't change that much in terms of like actual salary cap or that kind of stuff. It's really a case of when you want to take that dead hit. Do you want to take it all 
this year? Or do you want to split it half now or not half, but some this year and some next year? Yeah, I assume you'd want to split it is the point, right? If you're, But the thing is, you're, you're already committed to that money, right? Because the budget was for Aaron Rodgers to be on the roster. So him, and you're not going to be a quite like moving Aaron Rodgers now, you're not going to be panicking going out and finding another quarterback. So you don't have to find like another 30 million, right? It doesn't really change their allocation of the money they the guy that would be replacing rogers is already on the roster that's already accounted for and rogers is already on the roster and already accounted for so in a way it makes more sense to just take all the pain now get it done and then next year when you're figuring out what you're committing to in terms of jordan love or another option you actually have more flexibility with an extra 10 million dollars of space I, i don't like the comment section no that mike quinn is uh Dropping into our chat here. Stoking? Not happy. Oh. Not happy with it. What's Stop it making say? fun of me, Let's see. everybody. Anyway, the <clears throat> how much... So if you look at Denver's... Nobody had Denver taking a corner here. Why? Because this offseason, they brought in Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby, and they already have Bryce Callahan playing the slot, who is one of the most underrated corners in the entire league. It's fantastic, right? Um, so... Technically, they're locked in with their top three. Mm-hmm. Then they draft Patrick Sertan, our number one corner on the on the board. So we will t- test that theory of loading up on corners and that strategy and the whole thing. However, at the time, I was thinking, well, Green Bay, their biggest need is corner. Were they taking Sertan with the idea of trading him at some point to Aaron Rodgers? Now, of course, Green Bay drafts Eric Stokes in the first round. They also can't have too many corners over there either, but... You know, Patrick Sertan and Jair Alexander, that would at least be a nice little consolation for Green Bay if they did have to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. Assume they'd probably have another first or second round, first rounder or two added to the mix. So, yeah, through this Denver lens of who's the quarterback, you do have to view the draft. Then you also say, okay, well, then why did they not get Justin Fields? Is it an evaluation thing? And I thought that the tra- the Teddy Bridgewater trade said maybe we don't have the best evaluation on Justin Fields. I also said it shouldn't keep the Broncos from drafting a quarterback, but I also said it could indicate they're just saying, well, we definitely don't want Drew Locke to be our starter. If if our top three or four quarterbacks are off the board, we don't want four or five, say. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we're going to have to hedge, get Teddy Bridgewater, maybe hope, maybe they were all in on Trey Lance. And if Trey Lance fell, they would take him. But clearly... They weren't in enough on Justin Fields or Mac Jones to take either quarterback at nine, and I think that's why the Teddy Bridgewater trade happened. Yeah, I'm I'm torn on that as a concept because, you know, I've been saying pre-draft that we act like this is a five-quarterback draft. You know, there's five guys expected to go high in the first round. Just get one. You know, if you need a quarterback, go get one of those five, and it doesn't matter which. But we were making the point all the time that NFL teams are not going to agree on that. There are going to be teams that have this as a two-quarterback class. Um, Philadelphia sounded like they were interested if they could have got Zach Wilson, but once it became clear that he was going to go number two, Philly was out. They right. weren't. They didn't like three, four, or five. They would prefer to roll with Jalen Hurts this year and figure it out next year. Um, and I suspect that's true for a bunch of other teams, that they're, they don't view this as a five-quarterback class. They view it as a two, a three, or four-quarterback class. So... In a way, you say, okay, that makes sense. Denver, maybe they like Trey Lance. Maybe they only like the top two. Either way, once the quarterbacks that were potentially attainable for them, they didn't want. So I guess you can say, yeah, it's, it, it's right to trust that instinct and move on and, and fix other positions, even ones that you think you're well set at. On the other hand, like your quarterback is Drew Locke. Like at some point, 
you have to just say, we don't have a huge amount of faith in this guy, but he's probably a better shot at panning out than Drew Locke is at this point. So let's grab him. And even if he isn't, even if it's the same chance, it's two unlikely people to pan out, which is better than one unlikely person to pan out. Like, <laughs> at some point, if you're Can Denver... Can you rerun the math on that? Is that true? It's, at some point, if you're Denver, you're just so desperate for an upgraded quarterback, you have to do something, even if it's grabbing a guy that you're not 100% enamored with in the first round. I just... That's why I think, unless they're going to somehow grind down Green Bay or throw an offer at them that's too good to turn down, it just feels that this entire draft is almost invalidated because... They still have Drew Locke as their starting quarterback. <sighs> I know. I, we could we could discuss the quarterback part forever. I want to talk about the Broncos and their roster and what they did from a draft standpoint. I will say, if they're trying to attract Aaron Rodgers, this roster is looking good. If we're talking, Aaron Rodgers allegedly uh, said he'd go to Denver, Las Vegas with the Raiders, or San Francisco. San Francisco's obviously obvi- they he was they were appealing before they traded for Trey drafted right. Trey Lance. Have Kyle Shannon ahead. Wasn't Vegas thing. also on Russell Wilson's wish list? What is it about Vegas that's. I don't know. Is it a Gruden thing? Or is it just like be the face of Vegas as the NFL moves there? Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, I don't. Money I don't opportunities. Know. Doesn't seem like a tremendously. Gambling addictions. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that could be it. Just look, it's getting. It's a pain in the ass to place these bets where I am right now. If I go to Vegas, I can just roll out of bed, wander down to the book, and then we go. That's definitely why Russ wanted to be there, right? <laughs> you picture Russ. Yeah. Russ is just, you know, 23 He's hours straight up on the, in the Bellagio, yeah. 24-7. On the slots. <laughs> this is the one. I got this. Yeah. Anyway, Denver's a really good landing spot. We talk all the time about their receivers. Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Cortland Sutton, the great Tim Patrick. The great. You know, he's a uh, restricted free agent tender, still to sign, but, you know, potential trade candidate given Noah how Fant, loaded they are. Albert. Oh, there's just. No offense. Right. Um, and then, you know, they drafted Javante Williams at 35 overall. They did trade up for him, but Javante was our number one running back on the draft board. Forces missed tackles at a higher rate than any running back that has come out since we started doing this in 2014. That's actually, you know, played in the NFL. So Javante, he had some tackle breaking ability. It's a loaded offense. Uh, Quinn Miners, the the D3 interior offensive lineman that they get at number 98 overall, he could step in and play center, you know, at some point. We'll see how quickly he can transition. But Lloyd Cushenberry was the biggest weakness on their offensive line last year as a Step rookie in the 40 grade. And probably be better than Lloyd Cushenberry. Probably has to be. So you get a running back that will play, an in, a center that can play. Jamar Johnson, uh, we had him much higher. He, he he went in the fifth round. I could see the uh, sixth round. I could see, you know, fifth round. We could see the NFL absolutely hating him. Some of the worst tackle attempts you'll ever see, but free safety ball skills, kind of like a Malik Hooker. Yeah. Add that to the mix. And then Sertan. I mean, Sertan, Darby, and Fuller – I don't know. And, and Callahan, this is the whole, like, we're drafting to beat the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. type of strategy here. I, like I said, just in terms of the players they got, I think that's a fantastic draft and one of the best drafts of anybody in the NFL. But it just raises the question of what is your solution at quarterback? And, you know, is there a chance you think – so two questions. One, is there a chance that they're actually going to roll into the season with Drew Locke as the starting quarterback again and see how that pans out? And two – is there a chance that Drew Locke turns it around like a Josh Allen, right? That if they give him enough time and they actually go back old school style and say, look, quarterbacks take three years to develop. Let's give this guy three years and see where it works out. Like, are we writing off Drew Locke prematurely fresh off evidence in Josh Allen that 
that can happen, right? You can turn around a guy if you put the situation around him as, I mean, as we've been saying for years, right, that Buffalo has done a fantastic job of building around Josh Allen. Denver has done a hell of a job building around their quarterback. It's just they haven't seen any returns from it yet. The, the two arguments I make in favor of Drew Locke turning it around, the fact that he's only had a season's worth of snaps, um, I'll come back to that in a minute, and the fact that all four years at Missouri, he did get better. I mean, he started out as one of the worst quarterbacks in the nation as a true freshman. You know, a lot of true freshmen struggle, and he got better. Can I give you one more? And better. What's that? Can I give you one more? Sure. Guy's got a career big-time throw rate of 5.5%, six and a half last year. So you like the high-end stuff. He actually, I mean, he makes big plays. It's just that he's also been consistently 4.5% of turnover-worthy plays. Got to, like, got to figure out how to get rid of those. Otherwise, it's it's a no-go. Did you just... Did you just Jameis argument him? Did you just give the Jameis argument? Yeah. I mean, well, I'm saying that... There's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. If if you don't cut those out, it's never going to happen, which is the Jameis point, right? That's why he's currently Tameis as opposed to, you know, rocking his own team somewhere as an undisputed number one and whatever. If you can't cut those out, it's it's never going to happen. But at some point early in the career if a guy's got a profile like that you can say all right let's see if we can work this out which is why Jameis kept getting all those chances which is why every year you were like this is Jameis's year because like initially you can talk yourself into that if we can just cut those down if we can just have the number of catastrophic decisions he's making then we're cooking but at some point there becomes a line where you're like, all right, that's just never going to happen. That's just who he is, and we're not getting rid of those plays. Somebody's already asking about the hoodie and the mentions. I will mention it is from Sweat Taylor. They did outfit us the entire weekend, Sweat Taylor, S-W-E-T, Sweat Taylor. And we have a promo code. I'll mention it a little bit later on too, but the promo code's PFF-SWET, S-W-E-T, 25% off. That's PFF-SWET, 25% off at SweatTaylor.com. Sweat spelled the same way, S-W-E-T, Sweat Taylor. Dot com. What were they asking about the hoodie? Nice hoodie. Where, where do I get one? Oh, Sweattailor.com okay. was the answer. Promo code PFF for 25% off. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, it is pretty comfy, and they did take care of us this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one more point on the, on the lock stuff as well, mm-hmm. but then I forget it as well. Okay. But it's, more, it's surrounding this like one year of data. Okay, so Josh Allen broke out in year three. Mm-hmm. The other, there's a handful of quarterbacks we've also seen struggle in year one and break out in year two. So technically, it's the third year for Locke, but he only started six games his first season. So Jared Goff was kind of in the same boat. His breakout season did happen in year two, but Goff was horrible as a rookie. Derek Carr wasn't very good as a rookie. His second season was much better. Blake Bortles, for whatever it's worth, did show improvement in years two and three. Like, so there are guys who do take steps forward after that first year of work Matthew Stafford had one of the worst seasons we've ever seen he's another one had a terrible so could Drew Locke be better and let, let's just define better too at a, as a 63.5 grade last year even if you just get that to 70 if Judy is open as as much as we think he will be and Hamler's used correctly with Cortland Sutton coming back and Fanton all these playmakers we talk about if you're a 70 to 75 PFF grade this offense is moving the ball so there is this world where Locke is is fine um but I do think Aaron Rodgers is the best player if you of can course. get him. I mean, if you can yeah. get him in, I'm not disputing that. But I'm saying that, like, right now we have no idea if Denver is even remotely interested in Aaron Rodgers. It's just really that that link came from a Mark Schlereth report, which seems fairly debunked at this point, and b 
the fact that they didn't draft a quarterback in the first round, which may be an indication that they're working on Aaron Rodgers or maybe an indication, as you said, that they just didn't like the options that they had. Now, it's also curious, again, that they didn't even come back in the second or third round, right? They didn't draft a Kellen Mond or a Kyle Trask or a Davis Mills. They didn't take a quarterback. They, they weren't in the market for an upgrade of quarterbacks. Now, it would be fairly mind-blowing to me if you can come out of last season and be with the conclusion that, yeah, Drew Locke's still the guy. We still believe. Now, okay, we'll bring over Teddy to be a bit of a mentor and like teach him the ropes, but still Drew Locke's team. I just I cannot get my head around how Denver of all teams, with the desperation that they must have at that position, would sort of willingly load up again for one last shot at Drew Locke. It just it just seems like a, a low percentage play. George Payton comes over from the Vikings. They always, you know, Zimmer and those guys always love taking defensive backs. So it's not out of their nature, right? Mm-hmm. I really wonder though if so like the Aaron Rodgers reports weren't new for everybody, but they were somewhat new. I really wonder if they just said let's do it let's you know what's the what's the most attractive thing we could do if we could talk to green bay let's take a sertan he's the best player on the board he fits their biggest need let's just take him and see and we'll continue these trade talks because we can't sneak something through right here before the draft really wonder if that discussion did happen um where else we want to go afc west who else is in this division yeah to the other teams in the division (sighs) the chargers the raiders and the chiefs let's go chiefs we'll get to the raiders soon you're out of order in divisions, out of order alphabetically. You're just what, how should I'm going by city? Denver, Kansas City. Okay. Okay. So Kansas City Chiefs continue the offensive line overhaul. Uh, they end up trading. Uh, I'm sorry. They obviously traded their first round pick for Orlando Brown. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the equation. Their first rounder goes to Orlando Brown. All the other picks in that Ravens deal were essentially a wash. They get your guy. You could you could just wax poetic about Nick Bolton right here. 58 overall. The first pick for the Chiefs in this draft. Yeah, it's funny, you know, draft grades and all those kinds of things. You get this (laughs) debate about whether you should factor in things like where that first round pick went. So Kansas City trading for Orlando Brown Jr. Do you like lump that in with their draft? uh, Their draft. If I did, I think it's a wash. But what do you mean? I mean, I think it's like a C. I think it's like a C move. Just that move. That move itself. Yeah. But anyway, like, do you factor in the trade that they've made to acquire a veteran with the draft? picks that they actually spent i don't care either way i'm just raising an interesting point it is true um yeah look i think nick bolton was a great pick i really like him we've been talking about how difficult it is to predict linebacker success and how those guys are just struggling generally nick bolton is the kind of guy that will fall to the second round now because he's not this freaky he doesn't have the athleticism that a jameen a jamin davis has um who went in the first round to, to washington He's going to slide a little bit because of that. But when you, you watch him play, he just looks like the, you know a much more instinctive, put together, um, heady linebacker. Like that guy understands where he should be on every single play, understands how to get there. And for as relatively unathletic as he is compared with guys like that, he doesn't get beaten by athletic players. Like that guy chased down and hawked Kadarius Tony in the open field a couple of times when they played Florida. Like, defensive backs can't do that. Like, he, that was really impressive stuff. So I think he could come in and be their starter right away, potentially a better player right now than last year's um, draft choice, Willie Gay. Maybe that flips, you know, as they develop and as, as Gay gets better. But, like, I really like that pick. I think that's a great one. One of my notes was uh, reckless tackler at times, but in parentheses, maybe teams like that. 
Yeah. Which was fun with, with Bolton. Because we've heard teams say that, I don't care if a guy misses 18 tackles. And, and there's an element to that where they're, where they're right. Some missed tackles are like kind of forcing guys back into leverage and they're not they're not the worst thing in the world but it is just funny how um he does fly around the field but he also shows that he can play under control as well and play with you know power and um not so much power but just technique he does a lot of things well we uh we're up to 415 dollars now for the fro oh it's already that's donations great. are coming in so yeah go check out sam's go check out sam's pin tweet and um the afro will be coming soon Yes. Apparently. Maybe we can get it by next Thursday before I before I get to vacation. <laughs> Potentially we can do that. Mm. Um people are still they're making fun of my head too, man. It's uh <laughs> it's uh, bad. It's a tough day to be Steve. They're laughing in the back at me. Yeah, yeah. My wife uh, Kelly told me just embrace it. Right. I brought a hat. I brought a hat just in case. Well, this is what Chris says, right? The best thing you can do is you know, make fun of yourself because that way you're, you're heading it so off the past. At some point, it's overwhelming. <laughs> you're making fun of my hair and my head and my height and my weight. And just, I don't make fun of your height, to be fair. I, I you know, I, 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 I think I've been fairly on the level with the height. It is what it is. I don't Thank mock you. it too much. You got me picking out my, my fro. I mean, hopefully, that I'll make fun of. Hopefully that's, my that's pretty funny. getting punched in the forehead mm-hmm. um, will be gone by then. Anyway, the rest of the Chiefs draft. Um, Creed Humphrey, they get in you know, with pick 63, their other second-round pick. So they're just they're really going in, all in. Uh, they're really going all in on the offensive line. And it's I'm calling it the never again. It's the never again offseason. The Chiefs have declared never again will we see anything that looks like the Super Bowl. We will never get in there <sighs> with, you know, second and third string offensive linemen and let Pat Mahomes back there, Patrick. We'll never let him have to deal with that i think that's i think that's being overblown a little bit i don't think so because you got to remember that they essentially had to cut both their starting tackles in addition to all the upheaval they were going to have anyway you know both injured both on a lot of cash they were the sort of moves that everybody makes in terms of a truncated or a, a shortened a shrunk salary cap less money to go around the normal those are the kind of cost-saving moves that everybody was making so suddenly you have an offensive line where the interior was the weakness but the tackles were good. Now you had to get rid of both your tackles. So all of a sudden you have to change your entire offensive line. So that really is all they've done. They were in the market for Trent Williams, didn't make that happen, pivoted the money to Joe Tooney. Um, You snag Orlando Brown in a trade. I think that's a good move, even if they overpaid. Kyle Long is a great, you know, shot to nothing, given that he's coming out of retirement. Who knows what he'll be like? Creed Humphrey in the second round. Um, the doctor, Lauren DuVernay-Tardif, coming back. Mike Remmer's still there. I, I think they've just made the number of moves they had to make when you consider that they effectively had to replace the entire offensive line. So I don't think it's necessarily this like declarative statement that never again in our watch will Patrick Mahomes be getting buried uh, under pressure because we didn't address the offensive line. It's just, oh, God, we're rolling into free agency without any starting offensive linemen. We need to actually throw quite a lot at this to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, so maybe maybe I'm overrating it a little bit. I don't think so, though. I mean, I'm overrating it through the lens of they've had essentially not the same offensive line, but pretty close over the last couple of years, and it hasn't been a strength. That ha- it has it's been a, it's been good. It's been a good offensive line. Mahomes has never had a pass blocking offensive line worse than twelfth 
in his um, his first two years they were in the top 10 run blocking has been middle middle of the pack every single year they've been good so maybe it's me just getting that if I'm a Chiefs fan it's an uneasy feeling this happened with the Falcons a couple years ago right here's this thing that hasn't been a weakness and as a fan you always want to feel like your team's getting better and better and better and when you have to stop for a second and make a previous strength just you have to you have to attack it just to get it back up to par. It does take away from the other places okay. where they can get better. But think about it this way. If they had just re-signed their two offensive tackles and um, the center, uh, Austin Ryder, if they just re-signed those three guys and then, I, and then hit uh, Joe Thune as a guard upgrade and then maybe drafted a depth player on the offensive line somewhere, would you be saying the same thing? Because that's essentially the same net as what they've had to do. No, because... They wouldn't have had to change, you know, Fisher and Schwartz's contracts, right? I mean, they were still they were getting good money, but they gave up. But it would be the same. It's the same kind of investment because you're instead of one very highly paid offensive tackle in Orlando Brown, it would have been two pretty highly paid offensive tackles in Schwartz and Fisher. Like my point is that it's just because they had to make so many moves that it looks like this incredible declarative statement of how much they value the offensive line but if they just done it in a different way in terms of retaining three players of their own offensive line it wouldn't look nearly as severe but it would represent the same volume of commitment no because they also gave up a first round pick so you okay you, it's a first, a first round, round pick. pick that they were going to have to spend on the offensive line anyway yeah it's it's a first round pick plus orlando brown who's going to get paid a year from now so orlando brown big investment joe tooney big investment center you have Austin Blythe for a year, great deal, but then you have a second-round pick investment in Creed Humphrey. Um, LDT plus Kyle Long, that's fine, at, at right guard, and then Remmers at right tackle and, and Lucas Niang. So, I mean, it's look, I'm impressed with where they are. All I'm saying is a lot of their resource this offseason did go toward just keeping that as status quo, which yes. it, it's going to be a top-10 offensive line. So, as a fan, so I'm just I'm thinking of it from a fan or as from like a did we get better from last year standpoint, and I don't know that they did. I don't know if they got better. It would they, are they necessary moves? Fine, but you want to be better. You want to feel better at receiver, and it's in in the secondary. You want to feel better about the moves you can make going forward when you do have to make uh, defensive line decisions and secondary decisions and the whole deal. My, yeah, my point is simply that yes, they had to throw a lot of resources at the offensive line. But I think that's simply to maintain and or slightly improve where it was. Like the offensive line lost in the, the fact that the Super Bowl was an absolute debacle and they got ripped to shreds in the offensive line is that overall their offensive line has been very good for the entirety of Patrick Mahomes' career. And even last season, it was pretty good until everybody got hurt and they didn't have anybody left. And that's when it got ripped to pieces by one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. So they had to spend a lot of resources just to maintain that pretty good offensive line. It's just that doing that required a lot of turnover with the way they elected to go about it, which makes sense when you consider the two of those five guys were injured. Um, I think really what you're articulating is that they just – put themselves in a position where whether they were going to re-sign or retain the guys they already had or create upheaval and bring in a bunch of new guys, a lot of resources were going to have to go on the offensive line this offseason anyway, which in and of itself is taking resources away from other places that they could have spent it. But I think that's just the reality of where you are when you have a quarterback that isn't getting paid peanuts anymore. Like at some point, you're going to run into an offseason where you need to do two things and you only have the money for one of them. All right, the rest of their draft, there's, um, there's an upside play in 
Joshua Kando, a monster defensive end from Florida State. We'll remind Chiefs fans of Tano Passigno just a little bit. Uh, former five-star, never really put it together at Florida, but man, if he gets good defensive line coaching, like when his hands are right, he moves tackles backwards. So Kando, good uh, bull rusher. Noah Gray, uh, uh, our guy Eric Eager watches the Chiefs closely. Um, he said, hey, he's he can be tight end too, red zone threat potentially. Cornell Powell's the wild card here, 181 overall in the draft, fifth rounder. And Powell has a chance to contribute. I think he's he's just a good, solid receiver. I don't think he's the... He's not the best route runner. He gets off press and the whole deal. But if you're saying, hey, I want better production from like the Demarcus Robinson role. Yeah. So you've got, um, you still have Mecole Hardman who's going to do his thing and create, you know, be speed or whatever. But if Powell's going to be Demarcus Robinson in this offense, he's got a chance there. Yeah. I think he's a really interesting player. A lot of people were very high on Cornell Powell. And as you said, the, like the Demarcus Robinson role is not a tremendously challenging role to upgrade upon, I think. I'm not in love with him as a player. So Powell could actually be a pretty good contributor in that offense, especially if they don't love Miko Hardman the way we had thought they did right at the start of his career. And his kind of progression has stalled. So there is potentially that that spot there for for a Cornell Pound to be to be their like third option. You know, that that role is very much there. And then the other wild card is is Trey Smith, the guy yeah. they got in the sixth round who was only available in the sixth round because of medical issues, you know, blood clots in his lungs, which caused him to miss time and is an ongoing issue in terms of, you know, potentially keeps him from practicing as much as other people and just the kind of scary medical thing that's going to freak out a bunch of teams, right? Um, But if he's playing and if he's practicing to any kind of regular degree, like that guy has, you know, day one, day two talent. That's a guy you've just picked from the sixth round who could actually be a starting offensive lineman in the future if things break your way but obviously the risk is why he's in the sixth round yeah uh, Trey Smith could be yeah absolute monster payoff um, if healthy for the Chiefs another offensive lineman adding more depth there so look the Chiefs are just they're a fascinating case man like I said I keep comparing them to the New England dynasty and it's like you like how do you do it how do you keep this thing together make sure that the rest of the roster stays at least solid when you have the trump card and patrick mahomes so watching the way they do this is going to be a lot of fun in the coming years let's go to los angeles Chargers. by the way we gave um we gave the broncos an a minus and the chiefs got a b plus hmm. and now to los angeles Chargers. one if of your going, favorite surely if you're going by city it's got to be las vegas Oh, it's a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got to go Las Vegas. Uh-huh. So it's Raiders next. Yes. Sorry, Charger fan. It's the Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> the Wait Raiders are up next. I was trying to stay positive for a little bit longer. Mm. Or it's like a positivity sandwich. Well, it's good. I've been positive for the whole way, and now I can actually... And then we'll finish the West with some positivity. Look, the Raiders' second-round pick, I liked. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the best picks in the draft. Getting uh, Trevon Mary at 43, the guy that we had as the 16th best player in the draft. Phenomenal value. Which is, it continues a trend of all the Raiders drafts, which is, like, if you just rearrange the players in terms of draft order, you can make it look like a very good draft. It's just that they almost always start off with a colossal reach. Uh, Yeah, this is just a consistent trend here. Um, The PFF draft board's not the only thing you should look at, but there's a consensus draft board. There's also just the results of the players on the field. Right, and and it's also important to know, so even the consensus board will be off in terms of what the NFL thinks sometimes. Now, there are definitely reports that Alex Leatherwood was going to go in the first round. 
So we have him as the 40th best player on our board. I don't know where he was in the consensus board, but I think you can fairly safely say that he would have been picked ahead of pick number 32 somewhere in the first round, but they picked him at 17. Right. Now, this is a trend of Raiders draft picks predating Mike Mayock, to be fair to him, um, of just taking guys that are a significant reach compared with what the big board, the consensus board, our board, anything says that these guys should go, which even if you're right about the player, is just bad strategy. Like, if, And there's a good chance that they've been wrong about the players. Well, they have been wrong about the players for a lot of them. Let's, can we go back through the history here? Yes. Cleveland Furl goes fourth overall. Yes. Um, we did have him as an early second round pick. Would have been a nice pick there. He hasn't yes. produced early like Early second round pick. Yes. Right. We haven't, he hasn't produced like that. Um, Josh Jacobs has been the best player that they've drafted in recent years, but as a running back, back, makes little impact on actual wins and losses. Correct. Jonathan Abram has been one of the worst players. And was like the 180-somethingth player on the board. Yeah, because he's limited and he's just a strong safety. And if there's a chance for him to maybe figure it out, it could be here in year three now that he's a true strong safety in Gus Bradley's system, but they just drafted like three guys to maybe take his job. Mm -hmm. Last year, Damon uh, Henry Ruggs, he goes at 10? 12. 12. Um, I had this nice list on the um, draft show that that broke it all down. He goes, and and we had him as a first-round player, but also the third wide receiver on the board. He was the first wide receiver off the board there. And it's made zero impact so far. C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy clearly would have been a more impactful player already. I still love Ruggs. I love speed. I wouldn't have taken him first. (laughs) Um, I would have loved C.D. Lamb for Derek Carr. Um, And then Damon Arnett. You know, uh, people had him as maybe a fringe second rounder, yeah. and he goes in the first round because you know the stopwatch did get him at four four one or whatever it was, and he had a rough rookie season. Um, and just we'll see if he can ever um, bounce group, back from that. They have had six first round picks in the last three years, um, and those guys so far have combined for a negative PFF WAR grade or WAR figure, right? Effectively saying that if you yeah. just threw six random bodies out there, they would have contributed more to your team winning games than the six guys they've spent first-round picks on. They have had the kind of run of draft capital that should have transformed a franchise in a positive direction. And so far, in large part, because of the kind of reaches they've been making, they haven't done that. And here's the thing. This is why it's so catastrophic, is even if they had been right about those players, they would have been leaving extensive meat on the bone by not trading down and taking advantage of the fact that nobody else has them ranked that highly. So Abraham's a a perfect example, right? If that dude is 180-something on the the big board, let's say that we're harsh on him and most people have him at 100. I don't think he was that low. He was closer to 100. but It was definitely, whatever, we can look it up. Um, Let's say we're harsh on it and other people just have him at number 100. You can trade down at least a full round knowing that you can still pick that guy because even the most, like, optimistic other team out there is going to be splitting the difference with you. So the fact that you just pick the guy and go, I don't care. I think he's a stud. Let's draft him where we have him. You're just, it's not playing the game right. Like this isn't just I would find say- the best players. This is find the best players and take advantage of, of the value difference between you and everybody else. You have to gain the system as well as just picking good players. To a point. You, yes, you do. You absolutely do. However, you know, again, nobody's perfect at this whole thing. So... That's part of the reason why you have to game the system and not be so overconfident in your projections, right? The point of Alex Leatherwood's our number one. They said he was their number one offensive tackle. Tom Mayock Cable's said this. Number one. Tom Cable's number one. Mayock was all in on him. Um, 
over Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Christian Darasol, like number one tackle in the draft. And that's fine. They might be right. They might be right. Who knows? But if they are, they have to recognize they're the only people that think that. I'm, I'm also, I mean, there's, there's a few different reasons why I'm down on this too, though. Because first off, here, let me just say this. If they, dra- if they overdrafted all of these players and they all hit, then you would be like, well, these guys are geniuses. I mean, and, and, and they, maybe they are. You know, if, if Cleveland Furl has been clearly the best edge and he's been a dominant player, you would say, okay, everybody else missed something. Mayock and the Raiders nailed it. Even if he's overdrafted, you would say, okay, maybe, maybe everybody well, that else would, That would be giving you an him. argument. Here's the, here's what but it's that like. hasn't happened, though. Here's what it's like. It's like if you're playing poker, right? Poker has a fairly sort of well-established mathematical um, backbone to the whole thing in that you know when your hand is going up against the other hand, you know, roughly speaking how often that comes off, right? It's mathematical, right? You know what the cards are left in the deck. You know how often that's going to hit and you're going to end up getting paid off. So if they were making these plays and picking good players, it would be like going against the math and coming up right every time, right? Going on a run where you make a call, you're like, screw it. I know what the math says. I'm going on the small side and I'm getting it right. But it would be like doing that and not maximizing the return in terms of the cash you're getting, right? You're still... Okay, you've been right for a while, but you haven't actually maximized the value you can get back in terms of money. You haven't maximized the amount you're winning off this unsustainably good run, which is what the Raiders would have been attempting to do, and they haven't even been getting it right. They've just been going against the math and striking out. It's been like, ah, I know you're sitting there with pocket aces, but I've got this 3-8 of jacks that I really love, so I'm going to raise you. Let's see how that goes. And, and then the cards come out, and it turns out your 3-8 of clubs didn't, didn't beat the pocket aces. And you're like, okay, well, let's give it another go. And you just re-up it. Like, it's just ridiculous. My, my bigger issue, so you're, you're right. If you flipped picks, right? Leatherwood was 40th on our board. He goes at 17. Merrig was 16th on our board. He goes at 43. Yeah. It's, it's almost a like-for-like flip. Flip him upside down. It's perfect. So even if, let's say that happened. Merrig goes first, first round. He's a safety. I'm, like, I love, I love Merrig as a player, and, and I don't think it was a great safety class. I, he was the one guy I kept, if I mocked him to your team in the first round, I was like, I don't really want to come away with, with just Tr- Trayvon Merrig in the first round. I feel like there's other, there's impact offensive players. There's a, there's a Caleb Farley flyer that I would love to take at corner, especially if I am the Raiders. So it'd be fine draft. And Leatherwood in the second round would take great with 43. The bigger issue I have with this is still reversing course in the, in the, during this offseason and it's the moves that led up to this. It's almost I'm almost viewing it from the same lens as the Chiefs. The Chiefs didn't have an offensive line weakness last year, but they had to come into this offseason and, and solve it, right? The Raiders didn't have an offensive line weakness last year either. And either they felt they forced to overhaul the whole thing, or they just felt like they needed to. I, I, I don't know. You know so, they, so now they're filling this need. They traded Trent Brown. They're starting right tackle. Mm-hmm. So... You've used your first-round pick to replace a guy, Trent Brown, who's a good, solid right tackle. They traded away three-fifths of their offensive line, and we're trying to cut two of them. Right. So from like um, Colton Miller's come good at left tackle. Richie Incognito comes back at left guard. But they're going to have three new starters at center, right guard, and right tackle. Gabe Jackson's out. Rodney Hudson out. Trent Brown out. So you use the 17th overall pick. And Richie's like 127 years old, so he's, he's not lasting for long. But like the 17th overall pick is used to just kind of get you back maybe to status quo. If Alex Leatherwood is as good as Trent Brown last year, that's like, that's a huge win. If he's as good as Tom Cable says, okay, great, that's a huge win. 
But it seems like every move the Raiders make is one step forward, one step back. One step in. Here's another example. John Brown. They bring John Brown in to replace Nelson Aguilar on the cheap. It's only one year. Can he be the same deep threat as Aguilar? Probably. Good move. But then they spend a ton of money on Kenyon Drake to be the backup running back. So every time I felt like the Raiders are making one good move, it's one bad one in there. I feel like the draft is is very similar. I was waiting for their round three pick to be like the highest player on our board yeah. and us to feel good about it. But even those picks and not just that, didn't all go that way. But with the John Brown thing, it's like, okay, if he's going to be Nelson Aguilar, then what is Ruggs doing? Like, Ruggs was supposed to be Aguilar last year, and Aguilar ended up being Aguilar. That's two speed receiver. Yeah, but at some fine. point, like, I, it just, at yeah. some point, it's Aguilar, this compounding I mean, issue of what you're doing is recognizing mistakes you've made in the past, fixing them, but never changing the process that leads you to the mistake again. So they did that before with, um, with like, with Abram, right? You're, you're swapping him out. You're essentially admitting, yeah, we screwed that up. We're bring, bringing in a bunch of players who can do that role. But then you're just repeating the process of massively overdrafting a guy. And as much as it's kind of funny that, hey, if you just rearrange the order of the guys they picked, they, they, they had a great draft. But even that doesn't, like, excuse it because, okay, Merrick did fall where he fell, right? So you can't just say, well, if we took him in the first round, then we could take, you know, in the guy in the second, it would be great because he was going to fall another round. So you could potentially have taken an actual first rounder in the first round and then Merrick would have fallen to you. And now you've got this great looking draft. And I know trading down's not is not easy, right? But I also want if. But they've missed it so consistently now that, like, okay, maybe, maybe this time. They were manning the phones. Nobody came up with an offer that was even vaguely acceptable. So you take the guy on your board, fine. But six times now this has happened. Like this isn't if this isn't the phone is not ringing enough for anybody to move down. This is you're not interested in those moves. If you love Leatherwood that much, you could trade down, and yeah, if you could trade down to 24, 28, and still get him, then it's a far better team building strategy. I don't know if the phone lines were open or not, but. I mean, just li when you hire scouts, you're hiring the guy that you think is the best player evaluator, but they're not necessarily the best when it comes to draft theory and understand. There are some scouts that are fantastic. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of GMs came through the scouting ranks and they've figured it out and they know how to maneuver and manipulate the draft. But it does seem like some do not still understand. Again, I think the Vikings. We'll get to that when we talk about the North. The Vikings got two potential starters on their offensive line for the price of one mm -hmm. just by trading down and still getting a Christian Darasaw. So, yeah, the evaluation has to be right, but that manipulating the draft and is just the way to do it. And the, we also, again, we haven't seen the Raiders do that just yet. Um, Divine Diablos, and uh, he's a fun player at 80 overall. You know, he's a, a monster strong safety that they say he's going to transition to linebacker. So, again, you're talking about the 80th overall pick. Going to linebacker, where you've just invested in, in Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski the, the previous year. And Littleton's disappointed. Kwiatkowski's still a solid player, friend of the show. So you just throw Diablo into the mix. Tyree Gillespie, he's, a, he's an actual safety that's going to come in and play safety <laughs> and battle with Jonathan Abram and, and Merrick, who mm -hmm. you just drafted, right? So it's like I, I, the Ryan, and Carl Joseph comes back this offseason as well. So I just don't see the Raiders getting better. That's just the bottom line. I didn't love the draft. We gave it a C. Um, in part because of the Leatherwood thing. And like you, you said, Mike Mayock came to the press conference and said, this might not be a popular popular right. move. This is going to surprise some people. They knew it. Like they knew, they knew doing this that it was a breach compared to everybody else, which again, I'm not even saying that that's necessarily a terrible thing. You can draft a player that you are confident in, that you know nobody else really loves, 
but you have to a be right or b take advantage of the fact that you're so far different from everybody else by playing the game and maximizing the value that you can get for that trade down and still get the same guy and then go hey we know you guys don't love this guy but we do and hey we picked up an extra second round pick in getting him instead they just went nah we're going to take this guy where we where we are knowing that it's a massive reach knowing that everybody else hates it and then just hope we're right when we haven't been the last five times we tried this i'm going to say a positive and a negative about tom cable okay i mean he was in seattle for all the terrible offensive lines of russell wilson I, I, I also don't know that's if... That's positive, right? That's the negative, okay. sorry. Um, I don't know if that's a good... I don't think that's a good thing. You know, they, sure. Seattle invested in J.R. Sweezy, turned him from a... They did turn him from a defensive tackle to a, to a starting guard, but it took four years, and they didn't get to reap the benefits of that. They put a defensive tackle out there for three years and let Russ get killed. On the other hand, Colton Miller looked like a disaster. I think this was another cable guy, really athletic tackle. He's developed into a... Solid starting left tackle, a villain way of a like left tackle. Who Good they job. just had and to pay big money to. What's that? Who they just had to pay big money to. So, so it's like even Colton Miller, who's developed pretty well. He went from disaster to pretty solid, which right. is good. But it, which means that his rookie contract, the valuable part, at least 50% of that wasn't tremendously valuable because he wasn't good. Right. So you, you're, like, you're only getting the benefit of him for like two years, a year and a half, before you have to pay him big money, in which case you might as well have just kind of signed a big money tackle in the first place. Like, so, so if Leatherwood is Tom Cable's top offensive lineman, fine. I mean, we'll see how that plays out. By the way, I can see why people fall in love with Leatherwood. He makes some impressive run blocks. Absolutely crushes people. Front side of zone. Love it, love it, love it. Got some questions in pass pro. I do think Leatherwood's better than Cam Robinson coming out of Alabama. Maybe what, sure. what people wanted Cam Robinson to be. But we'll see. Didn't love the Raiders draft overall. No for the third straight, fourth straight year, for a few years now. Um, Los Angeles Chargers, um, we loved what they did. We didn't love it. Yeah, again, we, we, we've been wrong. We didn't love what they did last year. They got Justin Herbert. It didn't matter. We didn't hate what they did last year either. I mean, we didn't, it wasn't, we didn't have a tremendous amount of confidence in Justin Herbert being the player that Justin Herbert has become. But I didn't mind them taking it. They needed a quarterback. Right, so that's what I'm saying. Like, we didn't hate on it. It was just like, particularly because he went after Tua, you know, right. so it wasn't like they had. We might have hated it a lot more if they had uh, had the choice of Tua and Herbert and taken Herbert, and then we would have looked even dumber. But yeah, I don't. We didn't hate that pick. It's just we didn't have confidence in what it became. Now we didn't love, you know, their next draft pick. I didn't. But I don't think we hated that draft. It's just it has been a lot better than we thought it would be. So the opposite again. Maybe it's just the way the the off season flows with um with my opinions on how teams are doing it. The Chargers have completely reshaped their offensive line this offseason. I've enjoyed that. They got the top center in free agency and Corey Lindsley only gave up a handful of pressures last year. Matt Filer comes in to likely start at left guard. Ode Abushi comes in to start at right guard. Last year, they got Brian Bulaga to start at right tackle. The big question was left tackle coming into the draft. We kept giving them Christian Darasaw, third left tackle, third tackle on our draft board. Will they get the number two tackle on our draft board because Rashawn Slater fell and reportedly some teams was it Minnesota trying to go up and go get Rashawn Slater so I think the Chargers should be happy to just have him plug and play right at left tackle yeah I mean that was a great um, result for them as you said we had been expecting the top two tackles on the board to be gone by the time the Chargers came up and, and had they were obviously always going to be taking a left tackle so they would have taken Darisaw but Slater was there and we had him as the number two tackle on our board, but there were people out there that had him as the number one that think his 
you know, technique is more polished and, and at a higher place right now than Panay Sewell's is. He's got multiple games of exceptional tape against Chase Young, NFL caliber pass rushers on his college tape. That's a great plug and play option for the Chargers. And then I think their draft just kept getting better as they went down the draft. Like they nailed it with their first round pick. It continues this rebuild on the offensive line. Now three-fifths of it are coming in this year and all should be significant upgrades. If Brian Bulaga can stay healthy, that's four-fifths that are well above average, you would expect, um, which is like a massive improvement over what it was a year ago. Number 30 pass blocking grade in the league last year. Which is, you know, again, we always say, hey, Justin Herbert might regress to the mean. You know, he was really good under pressure. However, he fa- he was behind the thir- number 30 pass-blocking offensive line. Just getting that to creep back to what average is going to give him more clean pockets. And perhaps it's even more impressive given what Herbert was able to do behind that terrible offensive line. These are the Those are the situations that we make massive excuses for quarterbacks. You know, Josh Rosen was behind a bad line in his rookie season, or Sam Darnold's never played behind a good offensive line, or Josh Allen never was good until his offensive line got to average. Well, Herbert still had success despite the offensive line. Now, his playmakers are better than those other guys had, than, than those other guys had earlier in their career. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Tyron Johnson became you know quite a threat last year, but they had Josh Palmer to the mix, who's a really nice deep threat. Reminds me a little bit of David Moore from Seattle as a guy who's not really going to do a whole lot after the catch, but just win down the field often. Mm-hmm. Give me as many of those guys as possible with Herbert, and then I'll let you go nuts on Asante Samuel because I think he is one of the best fits yeah. in the entire draft, given that Brandon Staley's coming in, bringing his Rams defense to the Chargers. Phenomenal scheme fit, I think, for this defense. And a guy that has a, an obvious starting spot just sitting there waiting for him, given that they got rid of um, Casey Hayward, who had reached the age where he started to decline. Asante Samuel Jr., to me, is a first-round cornerback in this class all day long, whereas I don't love the things that jo- uh, that um, J.C. Horn struggles with. I was going to call him Joe Horn. Uh, the things that J.C. Horn struggles with and how they will translate to the NFL. I think the opposite is true for Samuel. Like the stuff that he struggles with, I being 5'10", 180, I just don't care. I don't struggle with that. No, you don't. Never struggle. Well, you probably struggle with it for like a day or two. I have been 5'10". I've also been yeah. 180. And it was a struggle. Yeah, and then, then after yeah. that, gone. Um, but the things, those things I just don't think are an issue the way he plays the game. He uh, has the things you need to mitigate that size issue, if that's what you're going to be. Um, he's got one of the fastest uh, sort of T-steps, the ability to just put his foot in the ground and burst towards the receiver or the ball for a break I've ever seen. Um, and not just that, but there's a bunch of plays on his tape where it's obvious that he understands what's coming, right? He reacts essentially faster than you can react if you were just reading the receiver, you know what I mean? So he's going like almost before or at least at the very same instant as the receiver is actually making his break to show that he's, you know, cutting off the route and running a hitch or breaking to the outside and running an out pattern. And you can't do that unless you know it's coming. You can't do that just from reading him. There's no reaction time there, which means like he's in the tape. He understand. he's watching this stuff. He understands route concepts. He understands down and distance. He understands tendencies. These are the kind of things you need if you're going to be undersized not the fastest guy in the world and you're essentially physically outmatched by the receiver that's covering you but that's what like Richard Sherman has made a career out of that right he's very physical and he offsets a lot of his um, lack of speed with that 
but he's also maybe the smartest cornerback we've seen ever, right? The dude knows what's coming and the amount of plays where he's running the route for the receiver or and or able to sort of bait them into what they want to do anyway. Like he makes so many plays because he's at least as smart as the guys trying to get things done on offense. Asante Samuel Jr. shows a lot of the same things on tape. And because of that, in this zone scheme where he can have his eyes on the quarterback, it's just got like great play written all over it. It is, um, you make the point all the time, far more to cornerback than just playing man coverage. You have a team that the Rams played more zone than any team in the league last year. So they're bringing that system over. Their levels of zone, it's a lot of quarters. It's a lot of cover three. It's three seam. It's a little bit of the Seahawks stuff. It's a mesh of everything, a blend. The cover two, the whole thing. And most of the time you're playing with your eyes on the quarterback. And that is Asante Samuel's strength, right? I just wanted him to go somewhere where he's playing with his eyes on the quarterback. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about J.C. Horn in the South episodes. But he was more of a press man player that might be going to his own scheme in Carolina, unless they're going to change. So that doesn't feel like the best fit. So it's always interesting seeing those. But I thought Samuel Samuel could not have asked for a better yeah. landing spot. And the Chargers needed it, man. We, we focused so much on that first-round offensive lineman. But Casey Hayward's gone now after regressing last year. Chris Harris is awesome. But, you know, he's getting older, man. He's getting but older. But he also, like Chris Harris gives them the versatility to, you know, like so – a lot of people were saying that you know Samuel might be a slot receipt or a slot corner at the next level. That that's where he's going to be pegged because of his size. Worst case scenario, that's where Samuel ends up and is a really good player. Uh, Chris Harris can pivot outside if they need him to, right? In an ideal world, Samuel can play outside and he's your new Casey Hayward. And then you've got um, Michael Davis that they brought back and Chris Harris manning the slot. If it's not an ideal world and maybe Samuel can't play outside against those more physical freakish receivers he goes into the slot and chris harris moves back outside and you're still good like it's still an upgrade the worst case scenario for them is that they spend a second round pick on a slot only corner which is not bad value and look slot in this system jalen ramsey played in the slot in the ram system last year too a lot depending on again it's it's zone concepts it's playing matchups it's you know versatility is good in this scheme so i love it i like a lot of what the chargers did um, I think those first three players are all uh, are all uh, contributors. Trey McKitty has a chance to to see the field and, and replace um, Jared Cook comes in, but you know long term Hunter Henry needs to be replaced there at tight end. And then Chris Rumpf, another wild card who comes in and was an incredible edge defender at Duke, will transition more to linebacker in the NFL. But he's got some pass rush moves if they want to deploy him in that way. And then Brendan James is um, a pretty good pass blocking tackle. Is not great in the run game. Get him in the fifth round. I'm all for it finally get to the AFC East a plus grade for the Chargers a plus for the Chargers who's first in the AFC East uh Dolphins Buffalo Bills yes fascinating draft for the Bills they go and they were close to the Bucks I would say as far as being a loaded roster we didn't necessarily yeah. want to see them um you didn't know where they were going to go always like to see them add cornerback depth if, if they can but they went with projects they went with Four monsters to kick this thing this thing off. Gregory Rousseau, six foot six, uh, long edge defender in first round in the first round. Carlos Basham, an edge defensive interior hybrid, six foot nine. Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, six foot nine. Tommy Doyle, six foot eight. Tommy Doyle out of Miami of Ohio just went with monster projects on the defensive line and offensive line with their first four picks. Yeah, and I don't I don't think that's a crazy approach when you have. When you have the flexibility, as you say, to have a roster that doesn't have any glaring needs, right? I think you can approach that in a few different ways. And I think the Bucks did it probably the best of 
in terms of taking a mix. I think you should probably take a couple of gambles. I think you should probably take a couple of safe picks for the future, you know, players that can step into a role, if not this year, then the, the, the next year, um, and just sort of hedge your bets across the board a little bit. The Bills went a lot more towards, well, let's just throw everything at some gambles, knowing that we don't have a great, like, nobody has a great strike rate anyway, so let's take some players that if they hit could absolutely catapult this thing through the roof, and in particular on the edge or on the defensive line, where even if they both pan out, you can find a way to use both of them. Um, I think getting guys like Rousseau and, and Basham Jr., like they give you a real useful gamble to take because you do kind of need some edge rusher help. You just need some defensive line help, period. Um, you're not dead in the water without it, but if one or both those guys pan out, it's Christmas. Like it's fantastic for that defense. Gregory Rousseau, we've talked about, is the guy that really did get hurt by the opt-out. He had 16 sacks in 2019, but, you know, PFF, we said those sack totals were a little inflated, a lot of cleanup stuff. He wasn't a dominant pass rusher, um, but you expected him to take a step forward and maybe dominate here um, in 2020. Didn't have the opportunity, but he's 6'7 with 35, almost 35-inch arms. Um, he is a monster who could bulk up and maybe be that DeForest Buckner type. So, mm-hmm. um the Bills have invested a lot in the offensive line, defensive line in the last couple of years as far as adding depth, where they've needed that as far as Jerry Hughes getting a little bit older. Ed Oliver hasn't necessarily panned out, but you bring A.J. Epinesa in last year. Um, these two players this year with Basham and uh, Rousseau. I think Basham has a chance to maybe make a more immediate impact, even though he was the second-round player. But mm-hmm. Rousseau's you know, keep an eye on Rousseau like three years from now. Yeah, and I like the idea of, look, they've invested a lot in this defensive line, but none of it has really hit yet, so keep swinging. Yeah, absolutely. And they like to, you know, defensive lines, you like to rotate. You like to have six, right. or, six to eight guys that can contribute anyway. Um, at a speed receiver in Marquez Stevenson in the in the sixth round, there's not a great path to the field for him, but I just like taking take speed shots. <laughs> Always, all, yeah. I am all about that. Speed shots? Is that okay? Can we say that? Um Cornerback is still the question. Your buddy uh, Levi Wallace hanging on there. They haven't done it to him this year. I get, I've been saying yeah. every year they're going to bring in someone to take his job. They haven't really yet. Now, maybe they still will. The you know the free agent market is still open. We just passed the deadline where players don't count towards the compensatory pick formula, which is an incentive to start grabbing people now as opposed to last week. So maybe they will bring in somebody still to try and take his job. But so far, they've looked at Richard Sherman, right? And Sherman's looked at them. I think that's been certainly been connected. I don't know whether how real the interest is from either side. But so far, through the two biggest team-building periods, the Bills have yet to bring in the guy to take Levi Wallace's job this year. Yeah, more than ever, there are, there's a lot of post-draft moves to be made. Um, and yeah, that could, be, that could be a spot for the Bills. I, I always look at the Bills and the Bucks and the teams that have these really good rosters, right? The Chiefs. What's the worst-case scenario? What could fall apart? That could ruin your season. It's it's almost always the secondary, so it's the place you do want to add more depth um, than ever. And um, you know the Bills look a little thin there. They just have they don't have the deepest group of corners. Um, they did they did add some safety help and Demar Hamlin later in the draft, but their safeties have been solid with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer for years. Tre'Davious White's obviously a star at one cornerback position, but again Levi and then Teron Johnson in the in the slot. If something could go wrong, it's those guys not performing up to par in the system. So maybe some more moves to be made there for the Bills. We gave it a B. Um, it, a very unique draft, I would say, with the with the four defensive line and offensive line monsters there. I like the offensive line forward-looking approach as well. Yeah. 
backups for Deion Dawkins and for Daryl Williams. Assuring. They've done a good job in terms of understanding that I think you should just be constantly adding bodies to the offensive line. doesn't matter if they don't pan out. Keep, keep going because if you find one, it's like, kind of like quarterbacks, right? This idea of you should draft a quarterback in the low rounds every year because who knows when you'll strike gold. I think you should just be constantly adding bodies to the offensive line because you never know when that guy that you thought was only really a, a useful backup gets pressed into service and actually can be more than that. You do love the Chiefs draft, so or Chiefs offseason adding all those offensive line bodies, so why not the Bills? There you go. Uh, they didn't get a running back. They were rumored to be getting a running back in the first round. You mm. said they wouldn't do it. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, they did bring in Matt Breida this offseason as well. That's your speed guy. In fact, yes, I've been vindicated because now, semi-vindicated, because I didn't see the Jags spending a first-round pick on a running back either. Our DraftKings prop went over. The very specific PFF draft yes, prop over. The two teams that you said were in the market for running backs, Miami and Buffalo, neither of them went running back in the first round they because they're too smart. I told you this. The Jags, who don't have a great record of being smart over the last however long, were the team that did grab a running back in the first. Good job, man. And the Steelers, who we always knew. Steelers and Jags, they they did it. Yeah. I mentioned it earlier, but want to call attention to the hoodie and the entire PFF NFL draft show this weekend. Our newest sponsor of the PFF NFL podcast, it's Sweat Taylor, premium menswear brand that is defining a new kind of casual from jackets and pants to joggers and hoodies sweat tailors designs are made to seamlessly fit into your life wherever you're going runway office office to drinks drinks to wherever the night takes you specializing in athleisure wear for men pieces are designed with comfy comfort and versatility in mind for every day they are comfy hmm. warm all weekend warm for eight hours of draft coverage on saturday 22 hours total of coverage sweat tailor did us well this weekend and we've got a special promo code for you pff dash sweat pff dash s w e t it's 25 percent off your order at sweattailor.com pff dash sweat s w e t miami dolphins are next in the afc east continue uh we gave the bills a b i said that right yep uh dolphins where'd we get what did we give them we liked their draft again i believe b plus Solid draft. I think this one does get remembered for, as we mentioned in the last podcast, Waddle versus Devontae Smith at six overall. Not just that, but now you have to start factoring in the trade um, because... Now you don't like the trade. You liked the trade originally. Well, so here's the thing, right? I, first of all, I wonder if the plan was always Waddle, which is what they're saying now, because of course they are, right? <laughs> Waddle was the player you got. So obviously Waddle was always the guy we loved at this spot. Nothing ever changed. This was what we were doing the whole way. We think he's a superstar. Having said that, Cincinnati went Jamar Chase one pick ahead of that. And now I know, look, I'm invested in this because my theory all along was that Miami made the calculation that they could trade three to six and still get Jamar Chase because the Bengals would pick Sewell that didn't happen so i'm invested in like still making that a real thing but i think there's a reasonable question to ask of did miami think that jamar chase would be there at six and when he wasn't now the question is well what do we do and do we still stay with wide receiver okay we really like waddle let's grab him now or was the plan always waddle if the plan was always waddle i have more questions about trading back up to six because now you are making that determination of waddle versus Devonte smith plus the trade you had to make to jump back up that far i think the plan was what we said 
going through. They traded up to get a blue chip player. They just felt the Waddle fit that. You know, I, I figured they, I think they would have taken Jamar Chase over Waddle. I'm a little surprised they didn't take Panay Sewell given what was on the board. Mm. But I think they did. I think they did target Waddle. I, I think they do look at their current depth chart, say we've only got one year of Will Fuller, and they're looking at it like I look at it, which is the speed component does matter. Um, even though Devontae Smith is a better receiver, he's more productive, I think they're trying to hit this home run. And maybe in their, in a lot of draft rooms, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill's name were used. We know that. Um, even if that is the high-end play, it's what they're chasing, the same way the Raiders were chasing it with Henry Ruggs. So they're looking at Devontae yeah. Parker and, and Waddle as a compliment and one year of Will Fuller and saying, okay, cover this. I just think it's a similar mistake to Henry Ruggs. Um, not in the way that, look, I think Waddle is a better player than Ruggs and was in their college careers as well. So from that point of view, it's more defensible. But again, it's it's look who you're comparing them to. Like Henry Ruggs was taken above Jerry Judy when at no point in their college careers was he a better player. Right. And obviously a worse player. Like just easily looking at the – like anytime you watch Alabama, you couldn't possibly come out of the game thinking that Ruggs was a superior player. I think the same thing is true for Waddle and Devontae Smith, though I will at least acknowledge that that seems to be closer than I think it is. And, you know – people keep making this argument that Waddle was the number one receiver when they were both healthy for four weeks at the start of the season. You've and, shot down the argument in 17 straight podcasts. You don't just, need to do it just, again. It isn't you true. You don't need to it's do it again. not true. Um, <laughs> it, it just isn't. But people will make that argument. And But I, I think it's at least closer because of that. That Hey, look, yeah, Waddle was incredibly productive in a way that Ruggs wasn't. Um, but ultimately, because of the reasons that it isn't true, that's why Devontae Smith is a better prospect. He was as productive, more productive in every other capacity, and does more things. He can still be a deep threat. Like the idea of we need to chase the deep threat receiver, the guy with speed, because Devontae Smith can't do that is ridiculous. Devontae Smith has got plays all through his tape where he's running past people, running by people, running away from people. Like the dude isn't slow. He's not missing the speed element from his game. But in addition to that, he's a better route runner, has better body control, is a better blocker despite being 166 pounds. He's just a better receiver. So I think you have to now look at this and say they traded up to make this happen. This isn't just grabbing a wide receiver who might not be higher on that on the board than everybody else has him. It's you also sacrificed a pick to do that. There's, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of storylines surrounding Devontae Smith here because the Cowboys allowed the Eagles to go get him. So mm-hmm. in the division, if Devontae Smith is killing him for the next 8 to 10 years, you're going to be thinking, oh, you you let the Eagles do that. Um, granted, maybe the Giants were going to do it instead at 11. Um, so there's that storyline. And then there's the storyline of Tua got one of his Alabama receivers and he got Jalen Waddle instead of Devontae Smith. So if Devontae Smith is tearing it up in Philadelphia, either with or without Jalen Hurts, we're going to look back and say, man, maybe Tua got the wrong guy or maybe got the right guy if Jalen Waddle becomes that deep threat. Um, either way, I think the Dolphins moving in the right direction as far as building around Tua. Uh, I like the addition of Liam Eikenberg at left guard. I think, he, well, I think he'll step in and play left guard, former tackle over at Notre Dame. You need some development from Austin Jackson at left tackle, but that's a nice fit there. Hunter Long at tight end. He can be that true on-the-ball tight end to complement Mike Kosicki, who's turned into a pretty good playmaker at that position. Uh, love the addition uh, in the secondary. Where did I lose? Javon uh, Holland. Yeah, Javon Holland. My goodness. Played over the slot, played safety, did a little, just more versatility in the secondary for the Dolphins. 
Um, shout out to the internets who said Steve was driving in a convertible and was hit by an overhead street sign. Hmm. They're, uh, they're hypothesizing in the chat what's happened over here. If you're listening in podcast land, you probably want to see the video version too. Or maybe don't. Don't click on it. Don't go click that YouTube link. Hmm. Full disclosure, we have to record a whole nother podcast. I, it's like double. Man, it's going to ruin the continuity, you know? It might. Yeah. If we're wearing the same thing for two out of three shows. And, and you have the same giant hole in your head. Yeah. Just yeah. don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Um, do you think the Dolphins are doing enough to figure out what they have in Tua and to, to build around him? Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to Tua now. I think they've done a good job surrounding him with talent. I, the offensive line is still a question mark, but you can see why they would at least think, hey, we've invested in this. Let's see how it pans out. Um, it, it comes down to Tua now. He's got to show a significant step forward over what he showed a year ago, and there's no reason to think he can't do that. I mean, he's got, I think, the tools to do it. We just need to see it now. Dolphins also had Jalen Phillips. Um, again, People wanted them to take a running back at 18. I had just seen that. Hmm. Just think about the difference there. If they if they had taken a running back, in <laughs> in who cares that their their depth chart right now is Miles Gaskin and Malcolm Brown and Salvat Ahmed. I mean, whatever. But if they had taken a running back there and not Jalen Phillips, not a guy that could be the best edge in this entire class, uh, the payoff of a Jalen Phillips could be incredible. Uh, only four hundred five hundred forty two snaps. Last year at Miami has not played more than 700 in his career, but production solid last year. Plays the run, rushes the passer, filled a need. So I like what they did. I like what they did with their two first rounders. Even if Waddle didn't go, maybe where we thought he would, he went higher than we thought he would. I cannot wait to see it pan out. I cannot wait to see all him and Rugs and all of these speed receivers. What happens <laughs> over these next couple of years if we've been chasing too much of this four-two-four-three stuff? or if the best receivers still uh, are the better play going forward. Mm. Which so far they seem like they have been. It's early, man. It's early. Yeah. I still have faith in rugs with the Raiders. Really? You want to get them. Waddle's going to get open, man. He's going to get open for him. Sure, but so would Devontae Smith. Okay, I get it. I get it. Let's not. We'll do a whole podcast. When, when I'm gone, you can do a whole podcast on Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. Sweet. All right, we got the Jets and the Patriots left. New York, New uh, New England Patriots first. <laughs> they get Mac Jones at 15. All these rumors about the Patriots trading up, and they end up getting Mac Jones at 15. I just love that Mac Jones ended up going exactly where he was supposed to go like two months ago before all this madness started. It's like Mac Jones is a mid-first-round player. And then it's, hey, guys, the NFL loves Mac Jones more than you think he is. He's going to go higher than you think. And then, hey, guys... Number eight to Carolina is now Mac Jones' floor. And at that point, we were like, this is nuts. What is going on? And then it's San Francisco makes the trade, and it's for Mac Jones. And I was like, what the hell? He's going three. This is ridiculous. Now it's like think pieces on what are they seeing in Mac Jones. And then eventually they pass on Mac Jones, and he slides all the way back to 15. And it's like the last two months didn't exist. We just did this giant circuit for nothing. And Mac Jones was the mid-first-round pick everybody thought he was to start with. So it's fascinating to me. I love it. I say fascinating a lot. But think about this whole process. The Patriots supposedly, we'll talk about the Jets in a minute, the Jets jumped the Patriots to get Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard. And supposedly the Patriots wanted to take Elijah Vera Tucker. Then he's gone and they just kind of settled on Mac Jones. Yeah. It is very interesting to me that we look at quarterbacks as this special world, right? And, we, and I think NFL teams do as well. But I think... It, the fact that you would say it's either a quarterback or a guard. It's, you know, it's, it's, well, if you're willing to take the quarterback in the first, and we'll talk about the Vikings later yeah. in the week, if you're willing to take Justin Fields, 
then everything else doesn't ma- matter. And the Patriots are really interesting because Bill Belichick went on this little um, explanation about how their scouting grading works, right? right? And it isn't just like this guy's an 84, this guy's an 82, you take the 84. Like they have a system of color coding, a system of letter grading, a system of number grading, maybe a couple of other points as well. And they all work together like this giant insane matrix. And sometimes the colors can override the letters and the letters can override the numbers and the numbers can override the colors. And the whole thing fits together in some like giant, you know, the, like the meme with the freaking yeah. arrows going everywhere. The whole thing works like that, right? And he's like, I can't even really give you like a, a, for instance, an example, because it takes like two months to understand how the whole thing works. So for any normal team, it would be a little bit weird because you'd be like, well, how does a guard and a quarterback even exist on the same scale? Whereas at least with the Patriots, you can kind of see like in this insane matrix, there's probably a way where that is the case. Like Mac Jones is good enough at X to be the 15th player, but not good enough to be like when this guy's, you know what I mean? Like there's enough, the letters override it and the number overrides it. So Mac Jones is behind the guard. Like for the Patriots, you can at least construct a world where that happens because of this insane system that they have for grading players. For anybody else, it's just like, here's an 84 versus an 87. It's like, how could you ever have a guard higher than the quarterback that you think is worth a first round pick? Presumably positional value factors into Of course, I'm sure that's one of the colors or something. Five-year starter, four-year starter, the whole thing. I'm sure all that stuff is is rolled in. Um, But I like Mac Jones at 15 here, especially given the way the Patriots roster is laid out. We said it a million times before the podcast. Uh, They filled a lot of their needs along the way. Yeah, it's not the most loaded roster, but it's mu- it's much better than last year. I think They're going to be much spot, better this year. Great spot for him. I, I do think, though, that the fact that he lasted to 15 and the fact that they were willing to take Vera Tucker over him, these are not ringing endorsements of Mac Jones as a prospect, in addition, in addition to the fact that the 49ers didn't take him at number three. like We went from, okay, I can construct a world where he looks really good in – Kyle Shanahan's offense and the mental processing is elite, and that's what's going to be, that's what's going to give him this high ceiling that some people seem to see. Um, to okay, Mac Jones wasn't taken by the 49ers. He also slid past everybody else that needs a quarterback. The Patriots took him at 15 without being interested in jumping up to, to trade for him, and were willing to take a guard over him. But the Jets grabbed him one spot ahead. It's like this is a this is a sequence of pieces of information that are not really helping the case for Mac Jones being a franchise quarterback. Plus, so it's different too. Again, we'll talk about the Vikings who were in the Justin Fields market and they were going to play it the same way. Like if Justin Fields was there, they were going to take him, right? Yeah. The Vikings. The Patriots said, if Mac Jones is there, we're going to take him, obviously, because the they guard didn't isn't. trade up. So the, but, but the Vikings have a starting quarterback mm-hmm. for multiple seasons under contract. So... That's where, and again, and we put together a draft board where Mac Jones was 11th or tw- whatever he was, and he was right next to offensive linemen and the whole thing. But we don't have a quarter. We don't. PFF doesn't have a quarterback under contract, right? We don't have needs to account for. So my point with the Patriots is, obviously, they need to fill their long-term quarterback need. They only have Cam Newton for one year. Right. Therefore, you would think the quarterback would be more valuable than the guard or anybody else on the board. And reportedly, the Vikings were at least checking out what it would take to jump up and grab fields, like at least exploring the phone calls. Now, we don't know the Patriots didn't do that, but it doesn't sound like they did. It's it's sounding more like the report that came out from some Pittsburgh beat writer before the draft that was like, um, was it was it Fields? It was like, hey, the, the Steelers like Justin Fields as the best quarterback in this draft. 
number one, like ahead of Lawrence, ahead of Zach Wilson, they love Fields as the best quarterback in this draft and would be prepared to take him at number 24, but only if Najee Harris isn't there. And you're like, excuse me? You think he's the best quarterback in this draft class, but you'll My only goodness. take him at 24 if the running back isn't there. Like, that's a little bit what it sounds like this is, right? It's like, well, yeah, we like Mac Jones. We think he's our quarterback of the future, and we'll take him at 15, but only if the guard is gone. Imagine if the Chiefs said that in 2017. Love Patrick Mahomes. Best prospect we've ever seen. Yeah. If he's there at 27, we're all in. Instead, they went and got him at 10 and could change the course of NFL history. Of course. So it's just, I mean, it doesn't compute. You know what I mean? Like, that, that Fields Steelers scenario makes no earthly sense to anybody with a brain, right? Now, some beat reporter reported that as that's their thinking. Either that guy's out of his goddamn mind or the Steelers are. One of those two things is true. This, it's not quite as bad, obviously, but it gives you the same kind of vibes, right? It's like, how, if, you're, if you believe that Mac Jones is capable of being your starting quarterback long term, you probably shouldn't have him ranked behind a guard, even a really good one. It just, it, you know what I mean? It doesn't. It's, it still comes back to, I'm. Um, I, I love getting into Belichick's brain about what he would want at quarterback. So I, guess the, I don't know that we really did because he just took the fifth quarterback Right, and that's the, the thing, again, right, yeah. which is the second year in a row. It's like I, it feels like we haven't really answered that yet. Yeah. So I guess my point is simply that— But if he, all, but if he had passed on Mac Jones— oh, Of course, it would have been— Then, then you, you still have that feeling maybe he just wants the right mobile thread. He, wants, he does want to get that QB run right. going. But I think— I guess the overall point is you can't possibly look at all these pieces of information and come to a conclusion anything more than they don't love Mac Jones. They like him enough to take him in the middle of the first round and have him compete or Unless develop, they tried to move up. I don't know. Or Maybe develop behind. But what I'm saying, the piece of information we have right now can only yeah. lead you to the conclusion that they like, not love, Mac Jones. There's also a world where I said – Everybody talked about top 10 quarterback movement. I said, no, it's 10 to 15. That's where quarterback movement happens. That's what actually did happen. There is a world where the Patriots, who do play the board as well as anybody said, I'm not expecting... That explains sitting there. That doesn't explain we'll take the guard if he's there. I, I don't know that that... It's just a report. I don't know that well, that's true. If sure. they would have taken Vera Tucker over Mac Jones, then that says a lot about Mac Jones. Yes. If not... We don't know exactly because we, they could have set every team up to 15. Agreed. Yeah. Didn't need a quarterback, especially once Fields goes off the board. They weren't worried about anything, didn't have to make the move. Now, all that said, I think Cam Newton plays more than Mac Jones this year. Yeah. I, I mean, really do. Jones won't play until and or less Newton plays his way to the bench or gets hurt. Now, this is the first time Belichick has had a, heavy in, uh, a quarterback he's heavily invested in that people are waiting to see play. Nobody was waiting to see Jimmy Garoppolo play because Brady was playing awesome. Right. And it was more just the fact like, okay, when's Brady going to step aside mm -hmm. for Jimmy G, even though Belichick reportedly wanted him um, and then ends up trading him. So this is the first time there'll be a call for another quarterback. And um, it will be easier if Cam struggles to maybe, you know, go to the next guy because it's yeah. not Jarrett Stidham this year. So <laughs> that will be one of the biggest storylines of the 2021 season. Yeah. Mac Jones, New England system. Good fit. I think the supporting cast is fine. Did our faces disappear? Yeah, I think the uh, the board died. Oh, that's sad. We'll yeah. Back to Cincinnati. But they also they were another one of these teams that had a draft where they kept oh, halting man. the slide of a bunch of talented playmakers. So Christian Barmore was their second round pick, who was a guy that was number twelve overall on our big board, like the twelfth best player available in the draft. They got in the second round and was a guy that even, you know, all the way leading up to the draft, there, were, there was talk that Barmore was going to go lower than everybody thought he would. Yeah. It's like, what don't teams like 
about Christian Barmore because I think the tape is there. There was a coachability question. Coachability, intelligence, um, learnability, the sort of basically everything that Isaiah Wilson dealt with thrown into one big melting pot, right? And there were reports that like, you know, Alabama and their regimen and program and the ability to stay on top of all this stuff barely kept this guy together, right? Kept him going to the right place at the right time, doing the right things and just not screwing up. And the, the fear is, like Wilson, it's like what happens when you hand this guy a check with, what, six zeros on it and say, okay, meeting's at 9 a.m., be there. Does that happen or does he go partying in Nashville? Like, what, yeah. like you know what I mean? So, I, I mean, who the hell knows? Never talked to the guy, never met him. I'm just I'm at the risk of being just, Orlovsky. I'm just relaying information Speculating here. why But Christian that Barmore is apparently why he slipped to where he slipped. Now, I will say that, look, if – if your concerns are about that kind of stuff, nobody has a closer inside track to Alabama information than Bill Belichick, right. who can just phone up Nick Saban and say, hey, Nick, tell me about this guy. We're thinking of drafting him. So for the Patriots to be the ones that buy in and, and stop that slide and grab him, I think should suggest that they at least feel pretty comfortable about their ability to keep on top of it. Could be an absolute home run with Barmore at 38, uh, Ronnie Perkins at uh, 96 he was 43rd on our board he's got good burst off the line of scrimmage from Oklahoma I will say the Patriots since we started grading in college they've been really close to us in a lot of the, they've drafted a lot of defensive linemen that we liked yeah from Trey Flowers right. Dietrich Wise Chase Winovich, Winovich guys that have produced at the NFL level and they've gotten them in not the first round they've right. gotten if any team has taken the PFF defensive line data and made good with it. It's the Patriots over the last few years. So they have a chance to do that once again with Barmore, with Ronnie Perkins. They had a big running back in Ramondre Stevenson, Cameron McGrone, the uh, pretty good blitzing linebacker for Michigan, had a good pass rush grade or blitzing grade, however you want to uh, put that. But it's it's those top three picks that could – obviously it comes down to Mac Jones, but those top three picks look yeah, all fantastic for, they do. for New England. But, I, I, I mean, I said this to you before. Like, I wonder how much we just get skewed by teams that, that trend to just stop the halt of a guy that's sliding down the draft board. Right. Because there's a few times that's happened. The Vikings did it a few years ago, and you just go, oh, that's a great draft. Look at the value they got here. And you're like, yeah, but <laughs> there's probably, probably a, reason a reason that three of those guys in the consecutively were all sliding down the draft board. You know so that I mean? becomes wisdom of the crowds as well. Uh, that was this is the first year an interior defensive lineman did not get drafted since '89. So, somebody told me it was '89, but I couldn't find the interior lineman in the first round in the '89 draft. Now it's complicated by the fact that they're just called defensive end, and who the hell knows yeah, if that's like edge yeah. or interior. Half the league was playing 34. But back then. Mike Clay quoted something from ESPN stats and info or something that was like the '60s was the last time that's happened. So. I mean, that's You're going back at too. least to, to, the, to the 1980s, possibly to the 1960s for the last time an interior defensive lineman wasn't taken in the first round. It's another one of those trends that we saw, you know, get those guys later in the draft. They're less valuable, but it's nice having them. You, you want to have them, but you can get them later in the draft. So we gave the Patriots an A-plus because the Mac Jones thing. and Loved it. Take, take those swings at quarterback, Patriots. All right, the New York Jets. Um, I ended, we gave them an A. I had something I didn't love. From this draft, mm-hmm. um, I, I like a lot of the players that they got. Though Zach Wilson at two, he's the number two quarterback on our board, so we agree with that. They traded up from twenty three to fourteen to get Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore at thirty four. Even you're on board with that as a guy yeah. that doesn't think Elijah can play what, outside. Love it. So a lot of good things with the Jets, and a lot of uh, just a really good off season for the Jets from free agency all the way through the draft. Yeah. Also, you know they they got both Michael Carter's right. 
Yeah, the running back out of North Carolina and the corner out of Duke. Yeah, the running back one in particular could make a a real impact in this team as well, given what they have in the backfield. This is a great draft. Even the trade is interesting to me because I think this trade in particular is a fantastic case study for why we say you shouldn't do that, right? They traded up. They got a great player, one of the, I think, the best sort of pure players in the draft um, and secured him at presumably guard though he could play right tackle i guess for them um and they essentially were prepared to give away those picks to make that happen and secure that guy but the vikings are a great example for why you just shouldn't do that because the vikings traded down we thought that they would like if christian darisol was available for where they were picking given how we thought the draft was going to go they would jump all over that immediately draft that guy because like we were imagining a whole bunch of worlds where the Chargers take him one spot ahead and suddenly the Vikings are sitting there looking for the fourth best tackle who is a big drop off from the third best tackle. It's like, ah, where are they going to go? The Vikings didn't. They traded down, picked up two more picks and still got the same guy, right? So they traded down, got Darisaw anyway and parlayed those other two picks into Kellen Mond who was a, even if he's just a backup, it's the first backup they've taken seriously for a long time and a guard who could potentially be a starter on that offensive line immediately, right? So they gambled that in trading down, we can still get the guy we love, who we didn't expect to even be here at this spot, and we pick up two more players, one of whom is probably a starter on this team. The Jets went the other way, traded up, gave away those picks just to guarantee they would get the guy who might have fallen to where they were going to go. Now, that runs contrary to the piece of information we just gave out, which is the Patriots were going to take him a spot later. Maybe they knew that. Maybe they had to make it happen because of that. But the point is, like, the Jets could easily have let, sat there where they were, may have got Vera Tucker anyway, and even if they hadn't, they would have had that pick and two more guys who could potentially have been, you know, actually interesting players for this team. Let's play those dominoes. What if the Jets st- stand pat and the Pats get... Vera Tucker. Vera Tucker. They don't get Mac Jones. If Mac Jones becomes a stud, or if he just becomes a top 15 quarterback, the Jets are kicking themselves. If they knew that they could give Vera Tucker to the Patriots. That's something too, right? The, the Vi- There's so many dynamics at play here. The Vikings and Bears being tied to Justin Fields. We're going to, for the next 5 to 10, however many years, that's like a thing in that division. The fact that maybe the Jets could have stayed where they were and Vera Tucker would have gone to the Patriots and Mac Jones never would have been there we'll see if that ends up becoming a huge thing I mean the other interesting thing is if the Patriots don't get Mac Jones at 15 like where does he slide to does he go to the the Washington Washington take him at 19 suddenly Washington stumble into a quarterback having done nothing perhaps I mean again if Mac Jones is a stud Washington just stumble ass backwards into the quarterback of the future because the Jets were because the Jets didn't trade for a guard essentially but I look at it just to rehash what you said right the Jets and the Vikings so the Jets have many issues on their roster right Mm -hmm. they're in a full rebuild mode already done a nice job but they're in full rebuild rebuild offensive line is massive need for the Jets all across the board except left tackle the Vikings have massive needs on the on the offensive line so when the Jets traded down and the Vikings get Christian Darisaw left tackle, Wyatt Davis left guard, plus a free flyer on Kellen Mond. That is an incredible haul, right? Now, of course, it depends on the Darisaw evaluation. And we had Thomas Dimitrov on the NFL Draft Show, and he didn't love Darisaw. So if Darisaw is not as good as we think he is, okay, fine. Right. But what if, you know, the difference between guards, what if Wyatt Davis and Elijah Vera Tucker aren't even 
that far apart. That means the Vikings got a free shot that Darisaw was good. Yep. They still filled that left guard spot. And they got a free shot on a Kellen Mond. So if the Jets had those things, if the Jets had Wyatt Davis at left guard and Christian Darisaw, who they could put at right tackle and get George Fant out of the lineup. I mean, also they could have come out of here with two starters on the offensive line that really needs it. Plus, if you look at the players they've got in this draft, like we really like this draft. The only criticism is that they traded up and lost two picks to make the Vera Tucker selection. So if you if you look at this draft and say they've nailed evaluation, right? Now you say what could they've got in the third round, right? Like they they kill the second round, they kill the first round in terms of player, they kill the fourth round. What happens if in the third round they had a choice of you know a couple of additional players to add to the group then, right? I mean, even if it was just Wyatt Davis, you could have had a guard a guard to go with Darisaw, say. Right, but like right you know, Brady Christensen went after that first uh, third round pick that they gave away. You know, Aaron Robinson, a slot corner that could come in and be an immediate. Aleem McNeil, Milton Williams, like these are impact playmakers potentially for the Jets that they could have easily drafted had they had those picks still. But instead, they packaged them both to guarantee that they got um, Elijah right. Vera Tucker. So we like Zach Wilson. Vera Tucker, best pass protecting guard in the draft. Could play tackle in a pinch. If he if they had to put him at right tackle, I'm sure he'd be fine mm-hmm. or good enough. But I like him at guard. Uh, Elijah Moore. Now that let's reset that receiving core. Corey Davis is there. Hall of Famer. Denzel Mims is there. Your boy. You feel better about Mims now without Donald there and with Zach Wilson in? Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a lot yeah. better situation now. Jameson Crowder. If they keep him around, yep. still he's an excellent slot, especially when there's people around him. And now you have Elijah Moore with that speed and as a deep threat. I like where that where that's coming coming along. The big question: They didn't get corners until starting in round five. Michael Carter, J- uh, Jason Pinnock, and Brandon Eccles. Um, all of those guys have a chance to play because the best Jets corner last year graded to fifty nine point nine, and that's Bryce Hall. Throw Hall into that mix, so they're they're attacking corner with volume, just not high value volume as far as the draft goes, but. Um, that's the biggest question mark on this Jets roster right now. You can't you can't fix everything in one draft, but that's like the one huge glaring need that they have not been able to address really this offseason. It is. The good, the good news is that they have a bunch of young players in that group um, and they're coming to a completely new system, a system that has previous for essentially taking a bunch that everyone said needed a dramatic upgrade and just making them better. Remind everybody because... The 49ers. Yeah. You know, Robert Sala coming from the 49ers. Yeah, we looked at that 49ers depth chart and you're like, wow, they desperately need cornerback help. And that was this, the narrative all the way through the offseason. And the 49ers the whole way through were basically like, no, chill. We like the guys we have. They're going to get better this year. The answers to the problem are already on the roster. Now, you can make that case for the Jets, but the talent has been selected a lot lower down. Like Bryce Hall was a fifth-round pick, albeit a guy who maybe had more talent than that. Um, Lamar Jackson, the cornerback, was went undrafted, right? He didn't even get drafted. And then the two same- fifth-rounders this year, and Michael Carter, two from Duke, two. Yes. Um, is, yeah. And Jason Pinnock. Right. Um, so and- both of those – So three fifth round corners all battling there and javelin guidry is that how you say that guy's second name guidry guidry um he also guidry the lefty okay he also went undrafted like these were guys that people liked in the draft process jackson um and him but they went undrafted so like it's harder to buy into the idea that those guys are the answer just because the draft stock didn't reflect that but it's potentially the case uh austin i mean it's 
it's all fifth and sixth rounders. Like their entire two D yes. is fifth and sixth right. rounders in undrafted Lamar Jackson. Now it's not so. to say I don't like some of those players, but it's a lot more of a stretch than it yeah. was with the 49ers who had a bunch of second and third rounders on the roster. And you know, by contrast, you look at what they've done at safety. They bring back Marcus May, sign Lamarcus Joyner. Last year spent a third on Ashton Davis, and then Hamza Nasiral Dean comes over from Florida State. Could be a tight end eracer, big guy placed, but they've invested far more at safety than they have corner. So you make a good point. Robert Sala has worked magic before in the cornerback room. Um, we'll see if he can do that one more time. They're also a great team to do that. Um, let's grab let's grab a post compensatory pick deadline cornerback, right? Yeah. And Sherman loves Sala. Let's see if he wants to go. I don't know if he wants to go play for the rebuilding Jets, but they do have that connection. Sherman's never played not in that system as well. So true. Feels like if you're handicapped in Sherman's landing spot, it has to be the Jets, the Niners again, or the Raiders, or somewhere where he knows the coach playing the right. same But there's guys like Casey Hayward still in the market. You know, there's some yeah. high-name um, free agents that are still out there that you might add, want to add to that group of guys that were fifth round and below. Yeah. Uh, either way, love the way the Jets are going. Love what they're, what, what they're doing. Gave them an A for the draft. Added a ton of talent, both in free agency and the draft. One of the best off-seasons um, by our standards here at PFF. Um, Got to tell you about our friends over at DraftKings, though. The hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next. They grow in excitement and anticipation. And this weekend is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, listen closely. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55-1 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. A gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I don't know what happened to the other states, but it's just New, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania for this weekend. If you're listening right now, Draft 30 still alive for just a few more hours. Draft 30, 30% off all PFF subscriptions, Edge or Elite. I still say, suggest get your Elite subscription because you will be thanking me come July and August when you're drafting for your fantasy team, and you have the very best fantasy tools on the market, 365 days of access. So go do it. Draft 30. Um, also, special shout-out. We just keep uh, breaking records here on the PFF NFL podcast for more listeners, more millions of mm. listeners, and we just appreciate everybody for doing it. Um, it's been an incredible draft season. We're not done yet. Halfway through all of our draft reviews, but uh, tell your friends. If you haven't subscribed yet, do it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just subscribe to everything and keep sending us those um, – Screenshots. I will have more winners on future episodes. If you subscribe, subscribe to the Daily and the NFL Podcast. Send us those screenshots at nflpodcast at pff.com. Sound good? Yep. One last pitch for the, um, the Afro. Where, uh, where do people do that? to my Twitter. It's the pinned tweet. It's uh, help liberate Steve's fro uh, and donate. We're up to $420 right now of a $1,000 goal. Everybody wants to see the hilarity that is Steve's fro live on the podcast. At PFF underscore Sam. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We will be back later in the week. Still figuring out when they're going to drop, but you will get two more draft reviews later in the week. See you guys.